So Hannibal returns the questionnaire, reveals a census taker tried to test him once. He ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. And then made that disturbing sound. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know how to describe that any better than that. What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films, so to keep my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on some very popular films, I am on a quest to change that. However, I am not on this quest alone. This week, I am joined by my friend, a fellow actor and someone who has an extensive knowledge on films and film history, Daniel Chavez. Daniel, how is it going? How are you doing? Hello, mate. I'm alright. How are you? I'm doing well. It's allergy season, but we fight through. Okay, loads of sneezing then. Yep, pretty much. Cool. So I'm very sorry for our editor for this edit, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So you brought me here to talk about one film. I did. I did bring you here to talk about one film, and that film is Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. Now, what is your background on this film? What when was the first time you watched it? Ooh. Do you have any Actually, recollection? Yeah, I do remember. So when I was a kid, I used to ask for bedtime stories because I saw them on TV and my parents didn't do them with me. And I started asking for them. And my mom was really into film. And she would tell me the most fucked up films before I went to bed. And Silence of the Lambs was one of the films that she talked to me about. So I remember watching it when I was a teenager, remembering all the fucked up bits that she kind of left out to a huge degree. <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed it. And I knew it was really well known and really respected as a film. And then I watched the sequels and I'm quite happy with the first one. <laughs> the other two, are, I mean, The Red Dragon is all right. But but yeah, and I really, I'm quite fond of the film because it's, it's, you know, one of those films you kind of grow up with uh, when you're a teenager. And it's gory and exciting for a 15 year old yeah i that's interesting i've never heard of someone just telling films but did she give you like the pg version no she would go like or... there's this guy who thinks he can skin other women and i'm like seven <laughs> and she's going like yeah so he he would just kill these women and just skin them and i'd be like is that possible and she's like i don't know good night sleep tight yeah 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 but um, yeah, but actually looking at the film, I looked at it yesterday and I forgot how good a film it is. It, even from the beginning, it really gets you. It's it's shocking. Definitely. Yeah. So we'll jump into it. So as we do at the start of any new film that I watch, here's what I know about the film going in. I know that Hannibal Lecter is a character. Yeah. Some dude wears a mask. I'm assuming that's Hannibal Lecter. I got that from a poster that I saw at okay. some point. As much as I want it to, I don't think it has anything to do with lambs. Ooh! As in baby sheep. Yeah, okay. And I know that it's classified as a horror film. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. We'll get into that, but I don't really feel like it is one. At least to where I'm at at this point, but we'll get into it a bit more. And that Anthony Hopkins won an Oscar for his performance. Everyone, I think, did. Sure. <laughs> Jodie Foster won as well, and the director, Jonathan Demme. 
Yeah, I mean, I can see why. Mm-hmm. But that's what I knew going in, or at least one of my, like, I guess, predictions that I had going in was, like, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with lambs. I still don't think it has anything to do with lambs. It There's zero reason why a baby sheep would show up. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Yeah. So... We open up with a beautiful piece of music, and we're in the woods near Quantico, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, Quantico, the TV series. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like the FBI. Lol, they're probably just in the same place. No, turns out it's the FBI. Yeah. So I didn't really have a good feeling, though, as we're following this person that's running through the woods. She's using a rope to climb up a steep mountain. I didn't have a good feeling at first. I thought, like, something's going to happen because of the music, the way that the music was bringing me in as well. It felt like she was going to meet an untimely demise. So Mm -hmm. I had no idea what role Hannibal Lecter plays in this film, just that he's, like, a bad guy, I guess, is all Mm. I kind of knew. Was that, like, he was a bad guy or, like, he was a villain in some way, shape, or form. I But, like, I didn't really know much about him other than, like, he's not, like, what you would consider a hero in a film mm-hmm. or the main protagonist, per se. And so I thought maybe, like, we're going to get introduced to something bad happening mm-hmm. and we seeing what Hannibal Lecter is because I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, Turns out nothing like that happens. This is just someone named Sterling, and someone named Crawford is looking for her. And I was like, cool, it's the FBI. I was very wrong in that thought. But I thought that that might be how the film opened. And I, it makes sense of why I didn't after seeing it. But hey. Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting about the beginning. One is very blue. It's a very blue film. Like everything about it is not as in sad, but it's in tone. Like the visual tone is very blue. And I think that that kind of just gives you an idea that it's just going to be a pretty gory, grim film. And then my favorite thing about the beginning, it begins halfway through something. They don't really have a first killing. They don't have a second killing. They're by like the fifth victim of this Buffalo Bill by the time they start jumping into the story, which I think is is really exciting. Yeah. Because it doesn't really give you any exposition. It just goes... This is what's happening. Deal with it and catch up. Right. I like how it's just, hey, especially in this moment, like we're still slightly confused on like what's what's going on. Mm -hmm. But it's just this is Sterling. She's at the FBI. Get with the program or get lost. And it's really interesting that, I mean, they have a female, the the lead of um, because I think in the film, they really show that she's the only woman in every room that she is in. And she can, you can kind of feel that, that she feels a little bit out of place. She does. She says something later on as well, and we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. I think in the next episode, we'll get yeah. to it. But yeah, so Crawford wants to see Sterling in his office. We then get a shot of a tree with multiple different placards attached to it. And you see hurt, agony, pain, love it. Mm-hmm. And then there's one placard that's like faded and you can't quite see what it says. But it kind of looked like it might say hate and die. And I just laughed at that being a possibility. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. May have been. But I don't know if you ever noticed that or... Uh, Sometimes. Sometimes I do. Especially in this film that 
it's quite funny that you bring up the lambs because they are really relevant to the story in many ways but they don't really come up i have no until... idea what you're talking about and i've seen half this yeah film, that's the thing so they, like... they really they... well done on like somehow making this so ambiguous that it's still not a spoiler yeah, I, I did pick up on, on those. Yeah, it, it's a bit of like foreshadowing what's going to happen. Oh. Yeah, this idea of like you are about to enter a world of hate Hurt. and pain. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Interesting. So we're at Quantico headquarters and Sterling is going up to the office. As she's going up, she gets into an elevator full of men with red shirts and khaki pants. And this is, like you were just mentioning, like, where it starts kind of being a recurring theme of she is the only woman in mm-hmm. the room. Yeah, I mean, every woman in the story is either the hero, the main hero, or everyone else is a victim. Yeah. Which I think really kind of makes you see the contrast between how she is feeling, seeing all these all this violence being taken against women. Definitely. Yeah. So, but when I saw all the men, I was like, Jake from State Farm? Hello. Hey. Hey, that dude. <laughs> there are 15 of you. Hey. <laughs> what are you wearing, Jake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, once she gets out of the elevator, we see the camera pan to a sign that reads Behavioral Science Services. Mm-hmm. I felt like this was going to become important later. Otherwise, why was it such a specific pan mm-hmm. from the camera? It's not like exactly clear, but this is kind of the department that she starts working with. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense of what is going on, why they made that very clear so that you kind of have an idea of what we're about to get ourselves into. So Sterling is inside Crawford's office and it is stacked with books, papers, binders. And it made me start wondering, is this what FBI offices are still like? Huh. Interesting. Because this film came out in 1991, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, like, my favorite TV show, or one of my favorite TV shows, is White Collar, mm-hmm. which is all about FBI, FBI agents. Yeah. But none of the rooms looked like this because everything now is digitalized. Yeah, imagine that also kind of, if you look at it as the period that they were living in, it also kind of shows a bit of how limited they were when it came to investigation in a huge way of like they're entering a room, but like there's a bunch of files and a bunch of desks and a bunch of paper. Yeah. Which slows everything. It, It just makes it more difficult which I think for a mystery film is quite good to just go like, they don't really have much to work with. Yeah. I'm sure that that was not intended because that's what they had in the nineties, but, but yeah, it just shows how, how difficult. Yeah. It definitely wasn't an intention, but I mean, I guess 91 was 32 years ago now. Yeah. And before the, yeah, before they had like a whole registry of fingerprints that you could just look up. Exactly. You had to go one by one. Yeah. But it's just very fun to see it just being a product of its time that still holds up very well. Mm -hmm. Even today in 2023, like it was just like, great, we're here. Like this is just the world that we live in. It's Mm -hmm. the nineties, which also like, it sounds like it's really far away. And I I mean, it It kind of is, kind of is, but also it doesn't feel like it is, Mm -hmm. but yeah. 
so Sterling turns and we're shown a corkboard and on it there are multiple pictures of mutilated bodies and newspaper clippings that read Bill Skins Fifth and at the bottom there are five pictures who are all women. And also on the newspaper, I did take notice that it said body signals are the keys to your happiness on page two. New cologne that makes men irresistible on page 10. And I was like, is this what Bill is using? And I was a wild man until I met the girl of my dreams on page 16. None of that was of interest to us, apparently, though. We just needed to know about Bill's murders. No, but I do think it, it still shows this gender thing that is so crucial to the film. The idea that Bill, the villain, and everyone in the FBI are all men. And I think, yeah, the whole idea that Sterling is genuinely such a different, from a different background than everyone else. She is a student, she's not graduated, and she just has this drive that motivates her to try and... You can tell from the beginning she has a, a forward energy. She's a very, yeah, very driven FBI young agent. So I think it makes her an unlikely hero from the beginning, which is quite good. Which is what makes me want her to succeed more. I think so, yeah. Because because she's an unlikely hero. And she has so much adversity, even in her own team. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so I made a prediction at this point of what I think is going on and what I think is going to transpire in this film. We'll see how right I am as we go through. Mm -hmm. So my prediction right now is that Bill is Hannibal and he has wreaked havoc across the U.S., And the FBI is trying to catch him. And with his target mainly being women, they are going to want to send in Sterling to try to help bring in him and capture him. Because, like, if I don't know what the profile is on the women, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But, like, the idea of they set up some type of sting operation. Because they already kind of know who Bill is. That's quite interesting. Because, obviously, they mentioned Hannibal quite a lot from the beginning, even before he shows up. They Um, do. They start mentioning him in this next scene, mm -hmm. which explains where, well, spoiler alert, but it's pretty common. I'm wrong. So let's figure out why. Mm -hmm. So Crawford enters in. He says that an interesting errand has come up and that he thought about Sterling. And Crawford remembers her from a seminar back at UVA where she grilled him about the Bureau of Civil Rights record during the Hoover years. I liked this little bit because it was just embedding right from the start that sterling is super smart i mean she was a double major in psychology criminology Mm. graduated with honors and after that she wanted to work in behavioral science with crawford so like she knew her path she knew what she wanted and she went and got it okay but actually though what is if you didn't know this if you didn't know that she went to uni and she was really clever looking at her appearance and the way she presents herself would you think that she is as educated and as driven and all these things as you think? I think yes, because okay. she's already doing training at the FBI in Quantico, which I know is their main Thanks. like, big headquarters and where a lot of training does happen mm-hmm. for the FBI. So I would have thought that she's driven. And the thing is, and it's an ongoing thing, she still treats everybody with respect. Mm -hmm. And so it's just the way that she speaks as well that I'm like, okay, like, you know what you want 
and sure you may be put down in situations but you are still treating people with respect even if they're not treating you with respect and so that's what but like I got that initial reading just the way that she was very kind and polite to anybody that she met and so I was like yeah it's not only her credentials also her behavior her behavior she's very poised Mm -hmm. which I think just made me be like yeah like you you are an intellectual person you know how to handle yourself in different situations probably Mm -hmm. so yeah so what Crawford reveals is that they are interviewing serial killers that are in custody for a psychobehavioral profile which could help solve unsolved cases Mm -hmm. so i was like ah the bill case because that's the one unsolved case we've learned about Mm -hmm. and so but there is one serial killer that refuses to cooperate and that this person is the psychiatrist hannibal lecter Mm -hmm. and so immediately i was like well i was wrong bill is somebody else okay when they say hannibal lecter she i remember this she says something do you remember what she says? I don't really... Uh, she says Hannibal the Cannibal. Hannibal the Cannibal. Okay. Which I think the idea of a therapist being a cannibal and being in prison is a pretty terrifying thought. Because it's the idea of someone that is literally there to help you and analyze your mind and be there for you. Killing people and, and eating them yeah. just by default. Yeah. It's really dark, but I also really enjoyed the choice Mm -hmm. because it explains so much about his character. Yeah. And we'll delve more into this amazing character when we get to him and we visit him for the first time. Well, that's interesting because you get to know so much about Hannibal before he even shows up. This is true. Yeah. I mean, we're still going to be talking about him right now, even though I just said what I said. We're Mm -hmm. still going to be talking about him. So... Crawford doesn't assume that Hannibal will talk, but they have to give it a shot. And if he doesn't just give back a straight report, what does he look like? How does his cell look? What's he drawing? All of that stuff. Lovely. He wants his report on his desk by 0800 on Wednesday. So Sterling asks, what's the urgency? Is there any connection between Hannibal Lecter and Bill? Crawford says that he hopes that there's a connection, but... Make sure you keep your full attention during your conversation with Hannibal. Dr. Chilton at the asylum will go over any of the physical procedures that are used and don't deviate from them for any reason, etc., etc. And don't forget what he is. Mm-hmm. And then it changes to Dr. Chilton's voice saying he's a monster. Mm-hmm. Which, great cut, just how that all worked out. And it was beautiful. But that's really interesting because they define him as a cannibal. A, a psychiatrist he's in prison he doesn't want to talk and he's a monster even as an actor how do you how do you envision that character to be do you know what i mean how do you play someone with all those how, what are you expecting hannibal to be by that point by this point i was expecting hannibal to be someone who is very good at understanding people's emotions Mm -hmm. because of him being a psychiatrist but at the same time he has many intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. and what made him 
this serial killer and the cannibal and probably it sounds like someone who probably took a little bit of time to catch because mm-hmm. he sounds like he's already a very intellectual character and so if that's the case he has these intrusive thoughts but how he lets them come out he's very detailed on how he allows these intrusive thoughts to come afloat yeah and so i think that's kind of what i'm expecting a little bit of both of someone who is very smart but also at moments you can see that monster come out of him interesting so you don't expect him to be to be ripped to be a big guy you expect him to be quite an intellectual relatively seemingly harmless guy in appearance seemingly harmless in appearance uh-huh. but not the way that necessarily he speaks interesting yeah. okay but appearance i wouldn't say that he is a very big burly person also like i guess a bit like i knew that i think i knew that anthony hopkins was hannibal lecter mm-hmm. and so i already kind of know what anthony hopkins looks like mm-hmm. and so that did play a bit into it but i never thought of anything that they've described is that he physically looks like a monster Mm -hmm. it's more internally he's a monster Mm -hmm. so yeah and then i actually did have another prediction at this point because i was wrong five minutes ago so hannibal won't initially cooperate with Mm -hmm. sterling but she'll probably break the rules in some way shape or form and instead of treating him like a monster, she's going to treat him like a person. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to get Hannibal to talk or willing to talk in some way, shape, or form. And we'll learn that he is probably a monster, but a monster that can also help in the aid of capturing Bill. Yeah, and I think that proves to be quite an accurate prediction, doesn't it? At least how the film's going currently. Yeah, how it's going. Cu- yeah. You <laughs> have no idea how yeah, this yeah. might change, but. <clears throat> yeah. I'm cause... still feeling pretty good about it. Okay. So, we are now at the Baltimore State Forensic Hospital. Mm-hmm. He, We learn the rest of that sentence. He's a monster, a pure psychopath, rare to catch one alive, and from a researcher's point of view, he is their most prized possession and prized asset very interesting way on that ending of like viewing someone as a prized asset Mm -hmm. rather than and that's why like i felt more confident in that prediction that she's gonna treat him like a person rather than an asset and i think that really shows the the idea of justice doesn't it the idea of capturing one of these peoples is something that you kind of earn in a way you make your way capturing these people and then you hold them in prison like trophies, basically. Instead of punish, you, you know, it comes with a pride. A pride of like, we have Hannibal Lecter, he's one of our trophies. Yeah. Yeah. Which, they're not trophies. Sure, they're very messed up people, but they're still people. Yeah. So, like, yeah, maximum security, all of that makes complete sense. But... They are still a person. Mm -hmm. So, and you saw that especially with the first film that I did with Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Like, prisoners are still people. Mm -hmm. Sure, they've made mistakes or, you know, they've broken the law because in their eyes they may not have made a mistake. I don't know. 
But, like, they've broken the law in some way, shape, or form. They've done something to end up here. But that doesn't mean that you don't treat them like a person. So, Chilton says that he gets a lot of directors, but doesn't remember any one of them being as attractive. Then asks if Sterling is going to be in town overnight, because Baltimore can be a very fun town if you have the right guide. And I was like, thank you, creep. Don't like Chilton. Yeah. At all. But Sterling, ever the professional, just says her instructions are an interview, report back in the afternoon. So nips that in the bud right away. Chilton reveals that they have tried to study Hannibal, but Hannibal is way too sophisticated for regular tests and thinks that Chilton is his nemesis. He also reveals that Crawford is smart to use a pretty young woman to turn on Hannibal, and Chilton isn't even sure the last time Hannibal has seen a woman. Mm-hmm. So all of this is very interesting. Again, like it, all of this information that we're learning about Hannibal, none of it made me think that he is a big, burly guy. Yeah, and it's relatively unethical to send a student to deal with one of these I feel like it's very unethical to send yeah, a student. Yeah, it's really unethical. And is that idea of women being in positions of vulnerability, isn't it? Yeah. But also, while it may be unethical, I see why Sterling might do it. Because Sterling's like, hey, if I'm able to help... Yeah, she wants to grow. This is going to launch my career Yeah. right away. Progression is a big thing. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I get why she was like, you know what? It might be scary, but I'm willing to do it. Mm-hmm. So, but here are the rules that we have. Now, I'm pretty sure that she's going to break some of these, if not many of them. Do not touch the glass. Do not approach the glass. Pass nothing but soft paper. No pencils or pens. No staples or paper clips in the paper. Use the sliding food carrier. No exceptions. And if he attempts to pass you anything, do not accept them. Precautions are in place because on July 8th, 1981, he complained of chest pain. His mouthpiece and restraints were removed for an EKG. And when the nurse leaned over him, he did this. Chilton hands Sterling a picture and then continues saying that the docs were able, the doctors were able to reset her jaw more or less and save one of her eyes. His pulse never got above an 85, even when he ate her tongue. Mm-hmm. I found the monster. Yeah. Yeah, quite a controlled one, though. Very controlled. Yeah, that's the scary bit. That's the terrifying part. Yeah, because monsters, if they're loose, you you kind of can deal with a crazy monster. You know, you can understand that. With one that knows what he's doing, that's a bit... That's a bit different. Intimidating. Yeah. 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 One that knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Controlled and very self-consciously knows that what he's doing is wrong. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I've just noticed that we've gone through three different gates. We've seen multiple different steps. Clearly, it's a very secure part of this facility. So Sterling suggests that maybe she should go in alone to see Hannibal because Hannibal sees Chilton as his nemesis. So they may have better luck. Barney lets sterling in and says that it's the last cell down past the others i was kind of confused but we'll understand what's going on he put out a chair for her and said he will be watching encourages her going you'll do fine i like barney he's supportive Mm -hmm. just a 
Like, hey, I get that this is scary. Mm-hmm. You'll be okay. I'll be watching the whole time. It'll all be okay. You know, the calm presence that she needed in that moment. Mm-hmm. But it is also very ominous music playing as she's heading down this path over to Hannibal's cell. And there's a bunch of other cells. We see some of the other inmates. The first guy is just smiling creepily at her. The second one is just sitting and quiet. And the third is bouncing around like a spider? Mm-hmm. Sure. And then we get to Hannibal. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we will come back and discuss Hannibal. And see him on the screen for the first time. Hello and welcome to the intermission. I hope you are all enjoying this episode of Post Finale. If you would like to support the show and gain access to some more bonus content like my notes or bonus audio, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale. Any of the money that is made from the Patreon will go directly back into the show as well to help make it a better show. And if you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell the friend about the show. Reach out and say, hey, you love movies, or I've been trying to get you to watch more movies. Check out this new podcast. The host tends to have funny ideas and funny takes on what's about to happen next. Talk about us on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, whatever podcast app you use to listen to the show. All of these things help and I appreciate all of you that have done this or will do this in the future. And I'm just very thankful that you've joined us for this episode. So let's get back to it and continue the discussion of the Silence of the Lambs. And we're back. So Hannibal is just standing there waiting for her to come in. I guess he knew that someone was coming to see him. Well, there is the chair outside his cell. Sure, he probably put together that someone's coming to see him. Yeah, actually, I was seeing online that whenever Anthony Hopkins was being asked how he wanted to be introduced to Hannibal Lecter, they said, the director went, like, do you think you're going to be painting? You're going to be drawing? You're going to be doing something? And he decided that he was going to be in the middle of the room. And the director went, like, why? And he said, because he can smell her coming in. Um, And I think that is really accurate of our character that is so precise and delicate that his even even his sense of smell is a bit like an animal he can smell everything yeah. coming in and he knows exactly how to react to it yeah it's creepy it's very creepy but i was here for it he's just standing there in his cell there are some books in a corner and up on a shelf he has quite a few drawings and sketches hung up on his cell yeah as well so immediately he knows that she's with crawford and asks to see her credentials. Mm-hmm. Sterling shows him, and Hannibal says, "Get can, come closer to the glass." She approaches and, and breaks the first rule. She breaks the first rule. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, no, no, the second rule. The, the first rule, rule was don't touch the glass. Mm-hmm. The second rule was don't approach the glass. Mm-hmm. We literally learnt this less than two minutes ago in film time. Come on, Sterling. Yeah, but the thing is, she's really brave. She is. She's very brave. She walks up closer, and the close-ups in this first scene, particularly on Hannibal, are incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every single one. And I talk about it more a bit later, 
but from the get-go it makes you feel like you are the one having this conversation Mm -hmm. with Hannibal Lecter and Anthony Hopkins eye contact yeah he doesn't blink is incredible as well yeah yeah i noticed the blinking later on but does he not blink pretty much most of any of the close-ups or he he blinks very little and i know there was filming because he wanted him to be a bit like a crocodile so he keeps his eyes really wide open and he i i spotted a couple of blinks but really really minimal like way less than you would expect a normal person to blink right yeah but incredible incredible choice both on the acting side and on the filmmaking filming, yeah. filmmaking side of that shot right there incredible and the shots that you have of sterling when we cut back to her during this whole sequence those are also very precise and it still feels like we are on her side a bit yeah because you're still outside the glass you know what i mean yeah. You're still being kept in her side of the You're not the entering Hannibal's side of the glass. Yeah. So yeah. So Hannibal notices that the ID expires in a week, deduces that she isn't really FBI. And Sterling flat out just says, yep, I'm still in training. And that she is here to learn from Hannibal. Hannibal can decide if she's qualified enough or not to do that. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Like from the get go, she respects that he is smart. And so Hannibal says that it is slippery of Sterling and asks her to sit. And then Hannibal asks what Miggs said to her. Who's Miggs? Miggs is the guy that you said was bouncing like a spider. Oh, okay. Thank you so much, because I'm not going to lie. A good number of these notes, whenever they mentioned Miggs, was who is Miggs? Yeah, Miggs is the one next to him. Great. So he said... Apparently, I can smell your cunt to yeah. her. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that as she was walking by. Yeah, so, yeah. And my version of the film where I was watching didn't have subtitles. So I didn't <laughs> have that to help me. So, cool. Hannibal takes a smell and says, I can't smell that, but I can smell that you use Avion skin cream. Mm-hmm. And then another sniff. And then sometimes you wear Ludeton? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Do you know what that is? I th- no. Okay. I think it's on perfume or something. Sure, why not? I don't really want to look it up. Doesn't make much of a difference. No, she wears something. And the thing is, he he's right. He is right. Yeah, so he's already doing basically a psychological profiling that quickly based on two minutes... Of, well, less. One minute of conversation and a sniff. Two sniffs, yeah. Also, I did do a quick Google search. I can't find anything of what Ludaton is. Fair so enough. if anyone knows what it is, let me know. But he, she's not wearing it today. Mm-hmm. And the look on his face is truly psychotic in this moment. And I love it. Yeah, but the really scary thing is he's quite friendly. He's intimidating, but the way he is, he's very polite quite charming, very friendly. And he doesn't use any profanity. He's just a very polite gentleman, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it goes both ways. He treats Sterling with some of the most respect 
as far as what has happened so far. Yeah, I think he treats her with more respect than the FBI treats her. Yeah, like, at least on where I'm at in the film currently, Mm -hmm. because I've still only seen half of it. Trust me, it was hard to stop this one, because I really want to know what happens next, but I couldn't, because the show. But he has treated her with more respect than I think like you said, anyone in the FBI has to this point. I don't know if this changes, Mm -hmm. but it's shown that in the same way, she shows him respect, probably more respect than he has gotten in. I think they said it was like eight years that he's been in prison now. Yeah. And that's really interesting that the very first kind of genuine relationship is between a prisoner and the FBI (coughs) agent. Yeah. You would think, that she has a closer relationship with the people in the FBI, but is really the guy behind the glass that she she kind of bonds with in a very strange way quite quickly. And I think it's yeah. because he treats her the way she is. He doesn't treat her as a student. He doesn't... Treat, I mean, he mentions all these things, but the way he addresses... He mentions it, but I think the other thing is that he is smart enough to know... That, hey, if Crawford is sending in a student... Mm -hmm. She's a good one. She knows what she's doing, and Mm -hmm. he respects that. He respects that she probably knows what she's doing if Crawford's sending her in. Mm -hmm. And so I think that also plays a bit into it. And I think makes a challenge at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, she brings this very well-educated and driven young FBI agent is coming in. He feels... Like, she might actually be a good um, challenger to his intellect, which I think he, he really enjoys. Fair enough, yeah. You do see him open up a little more, and we'll get to mm-hmm. it in a bit. But yeah, so Sterling asks about the drawings that he has. Hannibal reveals that one of them is the Duomole. Mm-hmm. Seen from the Belvedere. It's in Florence, but I don't know if I got the names right. Of... Domo. Yeah. Domo. Beautiful. Thanks, so. Sterling asks if it's from memory. And then a beautiful quote, memory is all I have instead of a view. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful quote. I just thought that it was very nice. And it already places him in, in Florence, in yeah. the place of the Renaissance. And it, it makes him already a very educated and, and the fact that he can draw so accurately. It's intimidating. It makes you go like, you have that good a memory. Fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also that good of a memory of something not in the country where Mm -hmm. you live. Yeah. Yeah. So, because no matter how much time he may have spent there, he didn't live there. He lived in the US. Mm -hmm. So, definitely another thing there as well. So, Sterling asks if he would lend a view on the questionnaire, and Hannibal just says, no, you were doing fine. Mm -hmm. You were curious. You were receptive to courtesy. You had established trust with the embarrassing truth about Miggs, and then this segue into the questionnaire, it just won't do. Mm -hmm. And I think, like everything that we have just said, you know, he was really intrigued by this person. And he's like, no, 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 don't ask me in this cheap way. Yeah. Like, you have to play the game. You have to figure out yeah, how to game. Yeah, stop being an FBI agent and just be just be with me. Yeah. yeah. Be in the present moment. Figure out how to play the game. 
and I'll help you out. But you have to figure out how to play the game. It's I'm not going to make it easy on you because mm-hmm. then where's the fun? You learn nothing if I just give you my answers. And I think he finds her fascinating as a human being as well. Like even as a as a patient of like psychiatry, I think he would be quite intrigued and going like, how come you are interviewing me? And I think that really spikes up his interest at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Fair play. And then, so Hannibal then says that Crawford must be very busy if he's getting help from the student body, which is a fun little dig, but still, it isn't said in a demeaning way. No. And it's true. And it's true. He's just speaking facts. And, you know... He reveals that he knows Crawford must have his hands full with Buffalo Bill and asks if Sterling knows why he's called Buffalo Bill because the newspapers won't say. And that's quite scary as well that he is in prison and yet he knows so much about the outside world currently. He's that well read and that self-aware of his situation. And what's going on, not just in his situation, but like you said, in the world, he is still keeping up with current events. Yeah, and he knows that he has limits to what information he gets to have in prison. So he's, he's already asking questions to himself, which right. is interesting. Yeah. So Sterling reveals that it started as a bad joke in the Kansas City Homicide Department. This one likes to skin his humps. I didn't get the joke. Yeah, me neither, mate. Okay. I think it had to do with the history thing, because if I remember right, Buffalo Bill is also a like a historical killer, figure yeah. in... It's a serial United... killer in the US, yeah. Yeah, in United States history, like, he's a, ser- he's a serial killer, yeah, he or is. he's somehow related in the US history, but I don't really know how, so maybe it had a reference to that. No clue. That joke went over my head. But they did call it a bad joke, so this one was truly a bad joke. So Hannibal asks why Sterling thinks that he removes their skins, and Sterling says that it excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophy from their victims. Hannibal says that I never did, but Sterling says, no, you just ate yours. Again, great. This is where I really noticed the, because I was just so engrossed and trying to take notes as much like as quickly as possible to get through the scene. Yeah, it's a brilliant scene. It's a brilliant scene, and this is where I like noticed the shots of, and it took me a few times of going back and forth to realize what was happening with the shot. Like I was very engrossed, but like we mentioned of how they had the close-ups. This is where I noticed that. Because we had gone back and forth a couple times. And so now I've been drawn into this conversation. So. And it really shows, I think, that she says that is really interesting. Because that's quite a brave thing to say. That she goes like, you're, you're messed up. You're a cannibal. And she brings it up the same way that he brought up that she was a student. Not really in an offensive way, just in a factual way. Just going like, you know about me? I also know about you. And I think it, it levels the playing field quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, which is quite good. Definitely. 
Hannibal asks for the questionnaire, takes a look at it. As he starts reading, he does do a little wink at her, and I mm-hmm. kind of found that like fun and playful of like... It's strangely sexual. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's really uncomfortable. There's so many things I never on. thought of it as sexual, because I kind of thought of it as... You're playing the game. I'll take a look at this. But I do think that Hannibal fancies Sterling. I mean, probably. And it's probably the first woman that he has also seen in eight years. Yeah, I imagine that helps. That probably (laughs) helps. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I never thought of it as a sexual wink. I guess it can be taken that way Mm -hmm. a little bit. And probably there was a little bit into it, like you just mentioned. But I took it as, you're playing the game well done. Like, let's go. So, he asks if she thought she could dissect him with this blunt little tool. Mm-hmm. I didn't know really what that meant. Do you know what the tool he's referencing? I think he's just referencing the the file. Or sure. Like, yeah. Cool. Well, like what he's heard of Buffalo Bill. Okay. But... Hannibal then reveals, like, you know, I know that you're ambitious and your cheap bag and little shoes. He says that she looks like a rube. She's not more than one generation away from poor white trash. Yep. She's tried hard to get rid of her West Virginia accent. And he mimics what she says. Like, he changes the way he speaks. He does. I noticed a shift slightly, but I couldn't quite tell. Like He tries to mock her as well to try and... I think that's his way of, because she called him a cannibal, I think that's his way of fighting back and just trying to establish his dominance in this conversation, which is really interesting. And he's really well acted. It's unbelievable. It's a beautiful monologue that if, I don't know if anyone can do it as well as Anthony Hopkins did. Iconic. He said the boys found her quickly and all those sticky fumblings in the backseats of cars. She couldn't wait to get out going all the way to the FBI. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, and and I think obviously you can take everything that he says almost as factual. Like he knows that these things are true. And you can tell from her reaction that she feels <coughs> quite quite exposed. And I think it also says a lot about how he he already picked up on these things and how he already respects her a lot for making it this far from her upbringing. And he can recognize a whole life story just based in these few minutes, which is really exciting. It's very exciting. I think, like you said, it's his way of fighting back. I don't know if it's necessarily fighting back so much as, again, because I don't feel like these two really fight in the way that that people fight. People fight. Yeah, they, they just... fight in this intellectual game that they're playing. So... It's this chess match back and forth pretty much just without actual pieces, but like with your wit. And so this is just his next move. Mm -hmm. And I'm very intrigued any time that these two are sharing the screen together because the scenes are captivating. Mm -hmm. The writing is captivating. And I'm intrigued on who's going to throw the next move out. Like what is the next play? What's the next move? And I'm really getting drawn into this little chess game that they're playing back and forth. Mm -hmm. So, amazing monologue. This is where I noticed the blinking, especially. And I listened to the whole monologue and I realized, and then I went back and took notes on it. But he didn't blink a single time during that entire monologue. And that's a good, like, 40 
second to a minute long monologue. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly the timing, but it's a good chunk of time for a monologue. And not blinking once with the intensity of his eye contact, mm-hmm. amazingly delivered. So Sterling says he's that he sees a lot, but is Hannibal strong enough to point this high-powered perception at himself? Maybe he's too afraid to. Mm-hmm. Again, just punching back in the yeah, chest shifting, match. Shifting, shifting, shifting it. So Hannibal returns the questionnaire, reveals a census taker tried to test him once. He ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti, and then made that disturbing sound. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know how to describe that any better than that. Yeah. So Hannibal tells her, fly back to school now. And as she's leaving... The spider guy, Migs. or Migs. Yeah. As, as I said, I was very confused on who he was, so I just called him spider guy. So he flings his cement at her. It hits her <laughs> in the face. That was such a polite way of putting it. Look, we do swear on this show, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I tried to be so Anyways, polite. the semen goes to her face. Yeah. It goes and hits her face. Hannibal calls her back. And she runs straight to the glass. That was rule number one. Do not approach the glass. Come on. You've broken But that the first is really interesting because, like, compared to everyone else, Hannibal is so clean. And even the watch, he's wearing his, you know, prison outfit is, like, basically tailored to, to suit him. Everything is so tight. And, and in contrast to his neighbor, it's yeah. a massive, massive difference. So the fact that she comes so close is almost for protection. Which is really interesting. She finds comfort in him compared to the scary world next door, basically. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship grows a lot in that one scene. It does. It does. I'm captivated by it. I can't wait until we get to revisit it soon. Mm -hmm. So Hannibal calls her back, tells her to look deep within herself, and then go seek out an old patient of his, Moffat. Mm Mm-hmm. So Sterling gets out. She's visibly shaken. Makes sense. And as she's walking to her car, she's having flashbacks, seeing her dad, who was a local sheriff, mm-hmm. it looked like in a small town in West Virginia, as we have been told based on she tried to get rid of her West Virginia accent. Mm-hmm. You don't tend to have one unless you live there. Mm-hmm. So back in the present day, Sterling is sobbing at her car and then she's back in school and she fails one of her projects and they're like rescuing hostages and i don't know one of the training exercises at quantico they're rescuing hostages she fails it because she didn't check the corner in her free time it looks like she's just trying to learn more about hannibal more about his past and then she gets a phone from crawford crawford reveals that Miggs is dead and that he died at bed check having swallowed his own tongue. Mm-hmm. How did Hannibal make that happen? I think just saying the the right things. Artie makes just trying to make him as uncomfortable. Just messing with his head. And if you think Makes doesn't look like a very educated, clever guy. Right. So Hannibal could possibly just decide to go into his head and make him go nuts. Fair, pl- fair Which enough. is terrifying because he's literally horrible. committing murder without even being in the same room, which is 
terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah, and I think that what you said, that you can tell that Sterling, her mind is no longer in in her training. Her mind has shifted and she's focused entirely on Hannibal yeah. and the Buffalo Bill case. Yeah. This is her kind of entering. And she kind of knows this, that as well. Yeah. That, like, I need to take this. But, yeah. So Crawford then asks if there's any follow-up on Moffat. Sterling says that Hannibal destroyed most of his patients' records before capture, so no record. But she thought to herself that the yourself reference was too hokey for him. And then she found a yourself storage facility outside Baltimore. So at the facility, we learned that this unit was leased for 10 years, prepaid in full, and it was in the name of Hester Moffat. And nobody had been here since 1980. The unit stuck and the owner says, you know, come back tomorrow. My son will help you get it open. And I'd ask my driver, but he detests physical labor. Hmm. I just chuckled. Yeah. So Sterling goes to her car, grabs a car jack and opens the unit. She gets it like about a foot off the ground or so. And then she crawls under the door to the unit. Inside, we see many things. We see lots of boxes. There's a statue of an eagle that's about to take flight there are mannequins there's an old piano and the skull of some animal and something large in the back draped by an american flag Mm -hmm. turns out it's an old car she gets into it looks inside there is a dressed up mannequin and a book inside the car as well sterling looks very confused perplexed and then as the camera pans we see a red cloth that's covering something she removes the red cloth And underneath, we see a severed head that is preserved in a jar. Now, I had a lot of questions, which will all be answered on the next episode, because I can't think of a better place to end this episode on this little cliffhanger of who is this person in a jar and how does it relate to everything But the questions that I did have are, who is this head? How does it relate to Moffat? Does this all tie back to Buffalo Bill somehow? Who knows? I'm very confused. So, but yeah, this is where we're going to end the episode. Daniel, is there anything else on what we've discussed so far that you want to talk about real quick? Not really. No, I'm all right. Yeah. Well... Daniel, thank you so much for joining. If the listeners want to find you in the world doing stuff, do you have anything to plug? Or Yeah, go on Pornhub, and then you'll be able to find me. Uh, no, go on danielc.actor on Instagram. You can follow me. I'm an actor, and, I, and I'm watching The Silence of the Lambs. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for being here. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'll catch you all later. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Post Finale. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. I also run the social media. Our editor is Pranav Nair, and the music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison, and the art is by Jared Rothman. If you would like to support the show and get access to some bonus content like notes and bonus audio, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at postfinalepod on all three platforms. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. 
reach out and say, hey, you love movies, or I've been trying to get you to watch more movies, check out this new podcast. The host tends to be kind of funny. Talk about us on social media, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever app you use to listen to the show. All of these things help, and I appreciate all of you that have done this already or will do this in the future. And I'm just thankful that you joined us for this episode. And be sure to join us next week as Daniel returns and we continue our discussion of The Silence of the Lambs. And until next time, catch y'all later.